the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our second of our three hours today, end of the week. We love checking in with one of my favorite academics, View from the Academy, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is his website. Pete, happy Friday. How you doing out there? And to you, Seth. You, yes, sir. happy Friday from Malibu. Yes, uh, nice, nice place to be uh, to be calling in from. I got to tell you, I love your I love your Southern California. There was a thought I had some years ago, going to places an adult that I had been to as a child, Pete, that were beautiful and, and ironic. Seattle, San Francisco, anywhere in Southern California, Mission Beach, they're not the same. They're just not the same. One might mm-hmm. add Portland. Um, yep. uh, and, and the reason they're not the same is not is not just the economy. It's the policies. It's the political policies of those that have led those cities. And I've always wondered if 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 we could make a comeback and take these places back. And over the last week, the candidacy or the potential candidacy of Caitlyn Jenner became very much more pronounced in in California, didn't it? First with the TMZ interview about transgenders and sports, and then the Hannity, Sean Hannity interview, which I think was Wednesday. And I've been asking my audience about whether they would back Caitlin uh, financially or however else if if Caitlin were the um, the putative uh, uh, reaction, response, replacement for Gavin Newsom. How would it work, Pete? And what's your thought on all this? I'll tell you what my audience thought is. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Get this. This is to a T, my emails and one call each. To a T, women know men yes. Isn't that interesting? interesting? Very. We'll think about that in a minute. But tell me first how it works. Does Caitlin become if she if Caitlin runs, they're on a ballot of what ten, fifteen? Is it a jungle? How does it work? Yeah. So, just as uh, our most recent experience with this, as uh, listeners probably know, brought a another populist uh, to the governor's mansion in Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was back in two thousand. Three, and on that ballot again, there were uh, only two questions. The the first question: uh, Do you vote to recall the sitting governor? Then Gray Davis. That's a simple yes or no. And then the second question is: If the answer to the first one passes, which is simply fifty percent plus one, which of these candidates uh, do you select? Now the sitting governor is. Uh, not on that second question is right. not an option. Right. Uh, but back in 2003, Seth, we had 135 candidates. Yeah. It was like a phone book. And if uh, that happened again, that that would give someone like Jenner with such name recognition a lift, right? Absent someone else with equal or, or somewhat close name recognition. Right? It did, and that really yeah. was really what boosted uh, Schwarzenegger's right. run. You know, right. hard to think about it now, but you know, in 2003, with 135 candidates, Schwarzenegger still came out with about 48, 49 percent of the vote. Yeah. Um, but it's really just first past the post. 
But someone like Schwarzenegger then and someone like Jenner now probably, you know, does crowd out the sun for anyone else. I mean, unless there's someone of more interest. And is there? Are there people that you know of in California who have that kind of what we used to call Q rating? (laughs) Yeah. No, there's there's certainly no one of that. (laughs) name recognition and in full disclosure uh you know we do have kevin faulkner with us as a visiting professor uh-huh. and i i think really as a as someone who's actually led a major american city in san diego yeah. he is an extremely credible candidate but regarding name recognition that's a challenge that anyone outside of uh, a Jenner type candidate is going to have now, that- and particularly acute in California because of yeah. the wide media market, right? I mean, it's easier to have no name recognition in Rhode Island than it is in California. That's absolutely right, and of course, the other complicating factor is: uh, will a Democrat break from the pack to put his or her name uh, into consideration for that second question? Uh, this, of course, was always the big. Uh, you know, item for palace intrigues back in 2003. It ended up being the sitting lieutenant governor, Cruz Bustamante, who, uh, as it was becoming better uh, understood that the recall was going to pass, uh, decided to put his name in on that second question. And so how, because it is, you know, first past the post and we could have well over 100 candidates, um, how those votes get split up and whether they get split between Democrats and Republicans uh, is really a bunch of kind of known unknowns uh, that we have for the fall. Well, call me crazy if you want, Pete. I, from sitting here, though, watching the interview as I did with Hannity and watching the response on Twitter a little bit, uh, some awfully nasty stuff from the left that Jenner's taking is incoming. <coughs> Excuse me. It seemed to me that it was plausible Caitlyn Jenner could win. Is it plausible to you? Let's let's make this easier for you probably and me. Let's assume Faulkner for whatever reason doesn't run. Let's just yeah. – maybe that makes this conversation a little easier. Let's assume for the time being Faulkner doesn't run. Could Caitlyn Jenner win? I think it's, I think it's still very doubtful. Okay. Now, I'll say this. Uh, I had lunch today with a, a friend of mine who's conservative, and, and towards the end of lunch, uh, he said, almost under his breath, he goes, Pete, I have to tell you about the most Reagan-esque campaign commercial I've seen yeah. now. I don't know how you're going to take this, he yeah. says. And we both looked at each other and said, it was that Jenner spot, yeah. right? It's a hell of an ad. It's a it's good incredible, ad. incredible, yeah. Seth. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of those ads where if you I, – I think I've watched it a half a dozen times. Uh, when you watch it, you realize how much of that we don't have in our public discourse here in California. As a Californian watching that ad, you you realize that wow, we don't talk about California in that way, right? Right. Um, you know, and and it was very much of a a populist, but also a personal message. It was it was breathtaking. 
really to see that spot. Well, uh, I thought it was breathtaking. Was much more powerful than the interview. Uh, oh, well, yes, but there were a couple gems in that interview that I pulled out, Pete, that yep. I thought were really quite brilliant. One of them was when Sean Hannity pressed him on or her. I'm not sure how to do this. I'm saying her for yeah, now, right generally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pressed pressed Caitlin on um, whether Caitlin was a Republican or Democrat. And Caitlin says, "I've generally been a Republican because of the economy." Um, although I am a little more progressive on social issues, but you can't do social programs without an economy. I thought that was a great gem. You don't hear people talking that way and explaining that very easily in one sentence. No, you you're can't right. have and social problems. I th- out here. You don't hear. And then the other brilliant gem, Pete. Maybe I'm overestimating this. Maybe I'm too romantic about this. But Ooh. Sean Hannity says California has sanctuary cities. Do you support? Can- sanctuary cities he said i support sanctuary cities for small businesses and i thought that was a beautiful sentiment (laughs) no again i i think there's a a unique message here presented by a unique person i thought what was so interesting about that ad that he put forward which again i mean it's two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. obviously it's it's something you really can only see on youtube but he doesn't get away from his previous identity. That's right. In fact, and know, he lets he the word ground. he fly, doesn't it? That's doesn't right. Yeah. 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 And and again, that that identity as a competitor, as a world class athlete, you you wondered how is that going to be incorporated yeah. into the life story? And it was done seamlessly in the ad. But as you get for, go forth onto the campaign trail. I, I still think that there's a, a fair amount of curiosity because, frankly, with the transition, uh, there hasn't been – he hasn't had – she has not – Caitlin has not had a lot of exposure to the media. No, but um, Caitlin has had a lot of exposure to hate. And that, yeah. that might oh, yeah. be a good start. That yeah. might be. I, I don't want to spend our, all our time on this, but I would love to throw a couple more thoughts about it to you on the other side of the break, if that's okay, and then do a few other yeah. things with you. I want to hear yeah. about this conference you guys did uh, on our common purpose. And I want to ask you the question we asked our other public intellectual friends here about the five books that influenced them most. I kept threatening to do that with you, and we kept being distracted by, uh, I don't know, other important things, Pete. So <laughs> we'll do that on the other side of this break. More with Pete Great. Peterson when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to be talking politics and policy with Pete Peterson. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, one of the good schools, one of the few. If you're interested in a graduate degree in public policy, this is where you want to go. Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Pete is there, um, is 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 the fa- fantastic leader of their great faculty there. We were talking a little bit about California. Pete, you said you didn't think Caitlin could win. Does that is that a separate answer from? whether you think Gavin Newsom will be recalled. It is. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I'm given what I heard in the interview and you pulled out a couple of the gems from the uh, interview with Hannity. I just think that he didn't seem fully ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of gaps in the argument that he's trying to make as to his qualifications 
we only have a sketchy sense of kind of his business experience and his larger plans for the state. He really didn't say anything about, uh, you know, significant policy proposals. It's a lot of response to what's happened in the last year, and that certainly, you know, can get you through the first month or so. We're saying, hey, it's time to reopen the schools. It's time to get businesses back to work. You know, that that kind of stuff certainly is something that I think everyone can agree with. Um, but when you get beyond that, when we get into issues like homelessness and housing prices and the other myriad afflictions of this great state, um, I I'm just not hearing that. What are those big issues that have led to such the problems? Uh, homelessness, of course. Uh, yeah. is, 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 pension reform is that is that a part of it? Taxes, pension reform, regulations, homelessness, drugs, immigration, and housing more broadly. Housing, housing. right? Yeah. So I mean, the, the there was a study released just this week from the Public Policy Institute of California looking at the out-migration of uh, Californians over the last decade. Mm-hmm. And housing costs remain a major issue out here. And it was funny to see, I, I actually tweeted this out, that the media out here is reporting on this uh, study about migration to say, hey, you know, this is a, we busted a myth. Rich people are still looking to come to California. But Embedded, uh, bearing the lead there is the fact that so many in the middle class and and those in the lower rungs of the economic ladder are fleeing the state. Right, right. That's that's really the point. It's not that the housing uh, issue is responsible for the homeless. It's that the housing issue is responsible for the hollowing out and the exodus of the middle class. Yes, no, that's absolutely. And tack on everything else that you know, is more expensive here. I'm sure you have more than a few listeners who used to live out here. Yeah. And every time I was just back east last week and to see gas prices below $3, it just made my head spin. Uh, we don't see that out here. So even some of the the staples around, you know, uh, energy, uh, gasoline, food, and so forth, uh, just beyond the housing prices, everything is more expensive here, and we're just not seeing it in the delivery of adequate public services. What do you make, uh, Pete, just one last thing on Caitlyn Jenner, and then I want to get into some of the stuff you've been up to uh, lately on the other side. But in a, in 40 seconds or not, uh, I know I gave the news to you only a minute ago, but what do you make of the fact that more women seem to be opposed to the Caitlyn Jenner candidacy than men? What does that, what does that say to you? Well, I think it's fair to say that Jenner is the first transgender major or candidate for a major office in America. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have a lot to go on as no. far as precedent That's for right. how a candidate like this will be understood. I do think it's very interesting that you've seen such a pronounced difference between the sexes in their evaluation yeah. of of Jenner. But I, I still think we're... a ways to go. There's really been no polling out here uh, on Jenner's candidacy other than, you know, the most recent uh, survey that I saw had her, uh, had Jenner in the top four or five candidates uh, in in the recall. So 
definitely some name ID, but didn't get into the what we say the cross tabs as to who was supporting the candidacy. One of the callers I had, Pete. Last thing I promise, I keep saying it is, but the, the, <laughs> it, but you're right. It's unprecedented, and it's going to cross yeah. a lot of lines. It's interesting to try and unravel those lines a little bit. At least it is for me. I hope for you. Um, one of the callers said. Um, you know, I don't care what someone is or isn't or say they, you know, their pursuit of happiness. So long as they don't, you know, badger me about it or use it to inflict their personal, you know, psychological, sociological journey onto me. And I said, I'll tell you something. You know, God knows we haven't heard, as you said, a, a lot from uh, from uh, from Caitlin. But one thing is telling in that ad, which is that Caitlin doesn't seem to care about the pronoun he. Yeah. And that tells me this is someone who is not a martinet about the language of wokeism. And that, to me, is refreshing, too. Well, of course, along with that was that TMZ. Right. Well, that, too. Yes, that is the right, perfect example of not... Jenner's position yes. on uh, transgender males participating in female sports. You know, they're... There is a triangulation here that can happen where you're, uh, in this case, transgender, but you understand, hey, but I'm not with those radicals yeah. over there, uh, which can be attractive. Or well, have least, you uh, noticed in the gay people. community, in the gay conservative yeah. community of writers, well, gay conservative, I don't mean that as strongly as some may think it, but people who have in the gay community affiliated with conservative movements from time yeah. to time, John Rausch, Andrew Sullivan, have you noticed... Yeah. How much uh, uh, anger they have yeah. about the transgender community? It's really interesting, isn't it? They no, said, it is, and uh, you know, especially from uh, lesbians in right, that community. Right, 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 right. You know, the understanding that uh, they've been making the argument for years that they are that that sex is a a real difference. Oh, yeah, no, the biological part of this is, seems to be yes. foremost in the minds of people like Sullivan Rausch and, as you were saying, yeah, it's a very, inter it's a very interesting crisscrossing of values here. It is, it is, and, and again, without precedent. So without still... precedent, yeah. See, I think, I, I, I think, I think everyone in my audience would have gotten behind Richard Grinnell. I think. Yep. I think. Yep. This is just still a little yet different, isn't it? We're, we move fast, but we aren't there quite yet, maybe. Well, and again, to see someone who was so prominent right. as a male. Right. 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 And not only in in their athletic pursuits, but also in the Kardashians. It's a, it's a fair point. This was the beau ideal of a male in 1976, right? For, this, and is, again, well this is what men wanted to be. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. All right. I want to talk intellectual uh, influences on you, Pete. Thank when we you, come Seth. Back. Let's return. <laughs> okay. I'm Seth Leapson. <laughs> He's Pete Peterson. We'll be right back. Leland, don't go away. I'm curious on your perspective, too. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Time to time we do this. Uh, it's 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 a fun exercise. We're going into summer. It's a good time for reading. We had uh, we had asked Pete uh, several of our hosts what um, the five most influential books were on their political thinking, and uh, I thought it would be fun to go through yours. 
uh, uh, mine are influencing my thinking. Um, yeah. A, a New Birth of Freedom by Harry Jaffa, The Dream yeah. and the Nightmare by Myron Magnet, Witness by Whitaker Change, uh, Chambers, Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater, and uh, probably my fifth one is Breaking Ranks by Norman Podhoritz. I think mm-hmm. those had the biggest influences on my political thinking. I wonder what your five would be. Well, for me, um, I have to start with Tocqueville. Okay. Uh, Democracy in America. Um, and how that influenced my political thinking is – it's a book that helps you understand that America is a different place. Mm. And that sounds very simple in one sense, but I think one of the great uh, important principles of conservatism is that uh, culture matters and that uh, policy ideas that work in one place may not work in another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Democracy in America is just that book that for me – uh, was bracing in helping me to read things where I said, oh, yeah, so this is actually 150 years old, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> 180 years old, uh, that this has always been true, right? Mm-hmm. What he said about America and it's uh, the importance of civil society and the importance of mores and uh, that it's a commercial republic and you know the different the, the importance of religion religion plays a huge looms hugely important yep really one of the first so, institutions of the country he says yes that's right yeah that's right so I, I have to put that that first great uh, um, no no one is, else did by the way that's great I, I love it I know that's I know I know uh, yeah. important for me uh, second is Nisbet's quest for community uh-huh and uh, again, uh, early 1950s, he's a, a Berkeley professor of Berkeley um, at the time, and essentially looks at out at a country uh, that is, you know, going through really these radical changes after World War II, with the increase of the Cold War and the prospects of a Cold War, and and sees people. Uh, sensing their alienation and disconnection from one another. Um, and once again, and refers to Tocqueville really throughout the book, says basically it's a call to Americans to realize that the things that really are going to uh, give us a sense of identity and connection to one another are these connections to our local communities. And uh and essentially goes against kind of these these radical notions of a, a, a certainly communism on one side. Uh, he's speaking to a, a world that's just getting to understand the the real perils of communism. No, but that's a hugely important thing that Nisbet was on to. When did he write that? Mid fifties, somewhere in there. Fifty three. Nineteen fifty three. So this is a hugely important thing that we conservatives struggle with, because Nisbet, <clears throat> in his quest for community book. As I recall it, you know, one of the elements he goes into um, is the obvious importance of community um, and 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 how we as human beings require it buried yep. in our you know deeply held human uh, deeply embedded human nature. But that 
there are these other ideologies, as you pointed out, Pete, like communism, right. which of which you know it shares shares the same cognitive as community that we yep. guard again. When when in a free republic we seek community, we have to have a better alternative than what communism proposes. That's where we've been shy. We have this with kids. We have this with children and youth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if and perhaps it's too Manichaean, but I've always believed young boys either join the Boy Scouts or the or the or the Bloods and Crips. My point being, they want to join something. Yes, they want strong medicine, and yeah. you know um, the Bloods and the Crips are strong medicine. So too is Al Qaeda. By the way, when we see yeah. you know Southern Californian kids joining it. That's strong medicine too. Maybe we're not offering a strong medicine um, about the West. Can 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 we return to that when we come back on the other side of this break? You can't, in other words, raise a kid in a vacuum and expect them to make the right choice when they're seeking strength. This is why fathers are important. It's why Boy Scouts are important. It's why good cultural organizations are important. It's why the right community building is important. Pete will share his thoughts on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have with us Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, uh, Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is the the website for Pete. Uh, Pete's organization, his graduate school, which I can't recommend highly enough. The books that have influenced Pete. Pete, you've given me uh, Alexis de Tocqueville. You've given me Robert Nisbet. If you want to say yep. more on Nisbet, that's fine. Or if you want to take me to a third, either way. No, I think you're – I just wanted to maybe put a finer point on yep. what you were saying yep. about the, the importance of of community and attachment and why I think the, the book is both timeless but also timely. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm seeing more and more people quoting Nisbet yeah, <laughs> and that book in particular, given what we're seeing around the country uh, with these extremely high levels of, of self-reported uh, loneliness right. and obviously the issues around suicide and the so-called deaths of despair. So I, I, I do think it's really a, a book for our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well. The next one I'm going to go to is uh, maybe might seem a little counterintuitive as it was actually written by a a self-described progressive, but I I still think it's been an important one for me, is uh, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind. Mm, I don't know anything about it. Tell me about it. So Haidt is a a social psychologist, uh, teaches at NYU, Mm -hmm. and in The Righteous Mind, he understands that human beings, particularly their their political leanings, come from some what he calls moral foundations. And there are these five moral foundations that range in a culture everywhere from holding certain things sacred to calling or promoting a sense of fairness. Mm. And depending on where you are on that spectrum, you will then, in the survey work that they've done, that people on the left will gravitate towards certain motivations, people on the right will gravitate toward others. But I, I found it to be a great way first to understand some of the reasons why I think the way I do as a conservative, mm-hmm. um, but also to, to, to better understand how people on the left think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the fact that I, and I think what was remarkable about the book as he wrote it is 
he begins the book really as a pretty ardent progressive who is seeking to understand these Neanderthals known as conservatives. But as he goes through it, he realizes, oh, my goodness, there are real legitimate and important reasons why conservatives think the way they do and what what are the issues that are important to them and why they see certain issues in the ways that that we do. And he tells this incredible story about walking through a book store and see on the bookshelf a book by Thomas Sowell and having reading the first chapter and having to sit down because he realized he was in the presence of a brilliant isn't that wonderful mind isn't that a beautiful thing it is yeah and there's there are a few different si- snippets like that mm. in the book mm. which which show that here was somebody that was both writing a book but also having his own mind changed yeah. as yeah. he was reading it yeah. and I just Jonathan Haidt. I like it. All right. Yeah. Good. Uh, the next is um, another progressive mm-hmm. who, but by the end of his life, uh, became a conservative. And I think these are, you know, uh, much, much like uh, Witness, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, I think sometimes these personal transformations lend themselves to great uh, books. Yep. Um, especially about political thought. And this was uh, Walter Lippmann's uh, The Public Philosophy. No kidding. My and, God. Uh, okay, you know, Lippmann that. was Good. an ardent progressive, yeah. uh, very much of a, a Herb Crowley mm-hmm. um, big supporter of Wilson mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 1900s. Yep. And then as he goes through uh, World War II uh, and then begins to see the specter of communism in the future, uh, writes this book, The Public Philosophy, and it's a very uh, both patriotic and heartfelt book about the importance of first principles. And uh, again, coming from someone who was both brilliant but also was go- has gone through his own personal ideological transformation, to me it was just a, it was a powerful book, too. I want to read it. I've never read it. I need to read it. Yeah, and it's a very quick read, okay. um, but again, it's it's one that I've gone back to read two or three times, uh, just because it's one of those that you can can read pretty quickly, and it's good to get those reminders. And then finally, um, and this, you know, you know how hard this is. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but I was scanning my bookshelf, uh, and the a book that really jumped out to me at the time and I think is still very relevant today is Ross Douthat's Bad Religion. Wow. Okay. Now, what the argument that that Douthat is making there is that um, religion, and this he's obviously an ardent Catholic, is is something that's embedded and vital for the American experience. Um and there's a part of it that is extremely important, he would say, as, as Tocqueville would say, as kind of the civil religion. But religion can also be used in such a way that there is a um, – that it becomes so cultural that we don't understand its reality. Huh. And as a person of uh, faith, I just found that at, when I read it and going back over the pages of it, that it's it's really – We've talked on a couple times uh, in our conversations that it feels like that we're we're existing and and going along here as a country uh, 
drafting off of the the sacrifices of those who come before us. And uh, this is one of those kinds of books that, that calls us back, especially those of us who are people of faith, to say that these these principles, especially issues of religious liberty, are 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 worth uh, are worth fighting for. What's interesting to me about your list, um, Pete, is that two out of your five are, I think, liberals, yeah. um, and and they helped solidify your conservative views. Uh, I wonder if any liberal would have a conservative author on his list saying mm. they helped solidify my liberal views. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I, I I wonder. You know, there were there were liberals, and I'm sure there. Yeah, there still once out upon there. a time was a thing called a liberal. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There was once upon a time. The other thing that's interesting is uh, several of these. I think probably Nisbet, you'd be the expert. It sounds like Haight and Lippman maybe do that. They. They have their own sense of what are the most important principles we need to attract around and unite around, and that's something the modern left doesn't give us. I don't know what the other than other than phraseology. Well, and I'll go back just to the beginning of our conversation with that generad. That is what that generad appeals yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Right? Something we can all get behind, and that I think is what is so really amazing about that. Well, it might be a new kind of conservatism, Pete. We'll watch it with you. We'll learn about it with you. We'll understand it from you. Pete Peterson of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Bless you, Pete. Thank you for always being so enlightening and uh, willing to join us. Always great to be with you, Seth. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Leland is in Phoenix. Hi, Leland. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good. Um, I just called in to uh, respond to your question, you know, where you were wondering why every single woman you've talked to says they just could not get behind a transgender woman as governor. And I was just wondering if it, it, it could be the case that uh, I think women in general uh, maybe even especially feminists, probably really seriously resent how uh, they are caricatured yeah. by could... transgender women. I mean, that and uh, probably not a lot of goodwill has been engendered among them the last few years with them having to worry about who they and their daughters might have to share their dressing room. I think there. I think with, that's you know? all there, Leland. I think you're right. I did have a, a, a woman listener email me and say I could vote for Caitlyn Jenner, but I would want to know what Caitlyn Jenner's views are on education and treating transgenderism as normal in the classroom. That's interesting. That is not a question Hannity asked. Playing sports is one thing, but what about treating it as just one of several other lifestyle choices that we can encourage children to pursue? That would be a tougher question, and that would be an important answer to have, Leland. You're right about that. Thank you, sir. Well, this is going to be fun. Uh, this is going to be really fun. Steve Zabin coming up in the next hour, right up the top of the hour, from my producer, Bill, who says, I am the Steve Sabin of sports, and Steve Sabin is the Seth Liebson of – I did it wrong – what? I'm the Steve Sabin of politics, and he, yeah, I'm not the Steve Sabin of sports. I'm the Steve Sabin of politics – 
He's the Seth Liebson of sports. He better not be the Seth Liebson of sports. If he's the Seth Liebson of sports, he has no career. He's got a tremendous sports career. He's going to be with us next. We'll be right back.